The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast. We are going to be talking about senior dogs today. But first, we're going to start off with the quirky tip of the day. So we got our friend the pig here to help us with that one. A lot of people um, have trouble putting weight on their dogs and they go to higher calories and higher fat content and everything else. And something that you could try is sweet potato. A lot of people say to use sweet potato for GI stuff, sweet potato or pumpkin, but sweet potato actually has a lot of carbohydrates in it. And it can be a really good um, food supplement for your dog if you're trying to specifically put weight on your dog. You know, the irony of that is that we have an obesity epidemic with dogs (laughs) in this country. And if your dog is plump, but not yet morbidly obese, (laughs) go with the sweet potatoes. (laughs) That is true. Most dogs are overweight. However, um, there are some dogs that just have a really high metabolism and you can only feed them so much food um, in quantity per day. So consider the sweet potato. And this is a tie-in also with um, the care of senior dogs, which is what we're going to discuss today. We have been living in the trenches of caring for senior dogs for Uh, A year and a half now at this point. Um, We lost my 13-year-old Malinois in June, and we actually had to put my 18-year-old Terrier down last week. So it's been a lot of back-to-back-to-back of caring for old dogs, but we wanted to give you guys some of the tips that we have learned for caring for both of them in their golden years. So um, one thing that's really important is diet. Um, It's kind of often neglected, and that's kind of why we let in with the sweet potato comment also. But Diet is huge for dogs, especially as they get older. So if you are feeding kibble, that's your own prerogative, and that's fine. But we have always chosen to feed a human-grade raw with our dogs. And Scott got me started on that, I don't know, about eight years ago? Yeah, I started feeding my dog a raw diet about, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. And I didn't really know how to do it. And I, I got the, the books. There's one by Billinghurst. Uh, there's a couple of different books on feeding a raw diet to your dog. And it's, it's really involved when you start reading all the literature on it. And in the beginning, I was actually ordering like dehydrated seaweed, kelp online and all kinds of stuff. And it was a real big deal. But over the years, I was able to simplify it more and more and more so that it's actually manageable. And uh, these days, there's pre-made uh, raw diets that you can purchase uh, in the pet stores. Now, they have a refrigerator and it's pretty common. You can get a chub of a raw diet type dog food product there, too. Yeah, and we, we buy in bulk. We buy our food where the restaurants buy um, their food. So Yeah, the Food Mart in Boston. 40-pound yeah, boxes of chicken necks, big thing, big chubs of ground beef and everything else. But the diet is important because it's going to help their health and their well-being, and it's going to help them want to eat, hopefully, for as long as they're going to choose to eat. So some dogs, um, if you haven't fed raw before, you'll want to do kind of like a home-cooked transition into raw. And some dogs the raw is too much on their stomach. So like my terrier, she ate home cooked for the last, I don't know, year 
two years of her life and we would just take the human grade raw quality food and heat it up so it was safe for her to eat. One caveat to all of this is bones. So fresh bones are fine for the dog. They can crunch up necks and backs and everything else. If you're concerned about it being too large, you can kind of sledgehammer it before you feed it to the dog. But if there's anything cooked, you do not want to be feeding bone. So when we were cooking for her, it was more ground turkey, ground um, beef, everything else, stew meat, and then you can supplement with a bone powder. Another thing that really helped um, for both of those dogs and that you might want to consider is making bone broth. So sometimes you get this anorexia issue when dogs get older, especially if they're sick or something else, they'll start not taking their medicines or supplements in the food, and then they kind of just don't have an appetite for anything. So bone broth is something you can look up and make specifically for the dog. I make a batch in the crock pot. It's almost all water. You put some marrow bones in. I put a little apple cider vinegar in and then um, a couple standard processed turmeric tablets like the last hour it's cooking. And I basically just put it on low for 24 hours and it does its thing and it has a lot of nutrients in it and it tastes really good and it smells really good. So that's something that you can consider if you do have an older dog who's kind of not as hungry as he or she used to be. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add too is that if you're feeding a decent quality kibble to your dog, Uh, It's pretty expensive, and we found that when we switched over all of our dogs to a raw diet that it was less expensive than feeding them kibble, and we were spending like 75 bucks a bag on the kibble. And the other thing is, you know, so many dogs now getting cancer early, like three to five years old getting cancer, and there's no direct link to kibble, but, you know, a lot of it's it's an unregulated market. They throw anything in there into that kibble, and... um, they can get away with throwing anything they want in there because it is unregulated. And nobody has a problem with it until dogs start dying around the country. Then they reel it back in and they do a recall on products. And you guys, I'm sure all of you have had that stress of seeing on the news about recalls and dog kibble and checking your bag and making sure that your, your food isn't on that list. So that's something else to think about too. Yeah. So of course it's your own prerogative, feed what you'd like, but you know, older dogs sometimes have teeth issues. It's harder for them to actually chew the kibble. Uh, the canned food is terrible for their teeth and not very healthy either. So consider a home cooked or a raw diet, um, with your senior dogs to give them the best quality of life possible and for them to enjoy eating as much as possible, because that's oftentimes one of the best things in their lives as they get older. Something else to consider is vaccines and preventatives. So this is a little bit of a taboo topic here and um, I might raise a few eyebrows, but really after my dogs are eight years old, I don't vaccinate them anymore. So I'll do... Even rabies? (laughs) Are you crazy? (laughs) Even rabies. Um, So I can titer the dogs for, you know, distemper and parvo and everything and make sure that their levels are high enough to protect them from those types of things, lepto, everything else. But the more that we're putting into their bodies, the more crap that we're putting into their bodies, the more that their immune systems and everything else has to catch up. And I do um, use a preventative with our dogs, a heartworm preventative, but I stop that when they get to be a certain age also. The less poison you're putting into them, the better it is for their quality of life and their longevity. So it's a personal um, choice. Some vets won't see a dog if it doesn't have a rabies vaccine. Others, if they feel comfortable with the dog, it's fine. So it's just something to consider. The more you're vaccinating your dogs, the more you're going in for that yearly checkup, giving six vaccines at once, giving poisons every month, even during the snow months when there's not as many mosquitoes and everything else. Just think of all of it because it all adds up. So that's another topic to consider when dealing with older dogs and giving them the best life you can possibly provide them. Yeah. And when you're talking about poisons, we're talking about flea and tick preventative on top of 
the heart guard, you know, the heartworm preventative. There's a lot of different things that, um, you know, can be hard on an older dog. And the same thing on the opposite end. When you get a young puppy, hitting them with a bunch of vaccines, you know, at a very young age, is it's tough on them. So the one thing about the vaccines is it's the same dose, whether it's a Great Dane or a Chihuahua. You know, it's just one standard dose for these typical vaccines. So it's it's a lot harder on a small dog. So if you can space those out, you're better off on the, with the babies also. Yeah, so just something to be conscious of. Um, do you want to give a little talk about Eastern versus Western medicine with R2 I'd love and to. see how it went? Yeah. Well, I didn't know a lot about Eastern medicine until I met Jess. I was, I just kind of did a minimal amount of healthcare with my dogs. I, um, I always felt less was more and I always felt they were trying to just sell me a bunch of stuff I didn't need. And luckily for me, I've always had healthy dogs. I have not, you know, I've had quite a few dogs in my life. I've never had a dog with cancer and those type of issues. And I've always had them on a good diet and I've always worked them and I've been very fortunate, you know, so I didn't have anything to do with the Eastern medicine and I had not a lot to do with Western vets either, rather other than the vaccinations. I had a dog that broke a tooth. I had to get that taken care of, but that's about it. But then uh, the Eastern stuff came up with Jess's dogs as they were getting older. So the first one, uh, Kayla, Mm -hmm. that was probably 10 years ago. We started going to an Eastern vet who started um, supplementing her diet with various, um, herbs and whatnot. And there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like, you know, it's the woo woo hocus pocus stuff. And, you know, I just sat back and let them do their thing, but I have seen a lot of good results with a lot of these things that the Eastern vets are doing. And, um, um, so I don't have anything, uh, I would encourage people to have an Eastern vet as well as their traditional Western vet. And for different things, you can go back and forth as needed. But uh, other than that, what what else would you like me to discuss as far as the Eastern? Well, I think that it just gives you a few more options. So had we gone the Western route with um, my Malinois, basically he left the vet a year before he was put down jaundice, looked like he was going to be in liver failure, and they said this is about it. And we put him on some new herbs, got him in for acupuncture that week, and he rallied. So partially that was luck. Partially, that was just our intention that we're going to treat him, you know, like he's okay and everything's going fine. And partially, it was the herbs and the acupuncture and the treatment. So there's a lot of stuff like laser, acupuncture, these herbs, there's homeopathics. There's things that you can give that are less invasive to the dogs than a Western perspective, for instance. So towards the end of my terrier's life, we put her on a diuretic and, you know, she had to pee herself because it was a LASIK and, you know, everything. It just, the quality sometimes just going straight to PRED or straight to prescription medicine isn't necessarily as good as it could be if you go with some herbs and things that may be less invasive. And you don't want to do that on your own, but anyone that practices Chinese medicine, who's an herbalist, any Eastern veterinarian, and many of them have been DVMs in the past. It's not like we're just talking total quacks that sit and they brew their little witch's stew and that's what, how you treat a dog. There's science on both ends of it, and they work collaboratively together that, okay, I'm not sure what's going on here. Let's get an x-ray, see what this looks like, and then this is how we're going to treat the body. Because really, at a certain age, you don't have a lot of options as far as we're concerned. We're not going to do surgery on an older dog. We're not going to put a dog on something that will suppress its immune system when it gets older. So you really want to weigh those two options. So if you do have a dog who's getting a little bit older, showing some signs of stuff, maybe check out an Eastern vet and see if they can give you any additional support because that's really what we're going here is 
quality over quantity. Because, you know, you can keep a dog alive a really long time and they don't necessarily want to be there. But if they have great quality and then the next day they just kind of say that's it, that's what we're looking for out of our dogs at least. No, it is nice. And, uh, yeah, the Eastern, as it relates to the senior dog, it's really a plus. It's something to consider because Jess and I both were in agreement with the old dogs we've had over the past few years that we weren't going to go to any length to keep these dogs alive if they weren't comfortable if they weren't eating and drinking water, um, they would tell us when the time was there, you know? And uh, it's hard because emotionally you need to be able to make that decision that we're going to let them go. Uh, and that's hard because some people will do anything to keep their dogs alive because, yeah, understandably, they're so attached, they just don't want that to happen. But we have our, you know, we're just thinking about the dog's, you know, quality of life. And uh, not doing things that are super invasive that are going to make them maybe live an extra three months longer, but miserable for another three months. It's the same with humans. I mean, uh, some of the states now have the assisted suicide, and uh, that's kind of like putting your dog to sleep. And I think it's a great thing for someone to have that option if they're, they have cancer and they've just come to that point where they're absolutely miserable. They don't want to be there anymore. And traditionally... They would be kept alive maybe for another six months or a year in that misery, that pain, and that suffering. And that's not what we want for the dogs. Yeah. So after the break, we're going to give you guys some more tips if you have your old dogs at home and you want to give them some more support. Um, And otherwise, hope you're enjoying so far and learning some new things to help your dogs live the best life they can. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. Welcome back. Uh, One thing we wanted to mention here are supplements um, like glucosamine, things for the joints. As dogs get older, they, um, you know, they get achy. And uh, if you can get anything you can do to help them, then you certainly should do it. We give our dogs these type of things, glucosamine. There's one called Adequin. And they're, you know, it's something that lubricates the joints. So you want to keep an eye on that kind of stuff just to keep them mobile. And you want to be careful with them. I was talking to Jess about this this morning. When you have an older dog, um, things like flooring become an issue where, you know, a a hardwood floor or a a tile floor, the dogs are, they don't have as much strength and, um, you know, the legs are sliding a little bit. So we put down some yoga mats and some some rug, you know, runners, things like that so they can move around easier. If they need to go up and down stairs put a leash on them if their eyesight is going, because these are the things we've dealt with with our senior dogs. The eyesight, they can see, but they can't see if it gets dark, if the shadows, they're having trouble. And so then they stop. And, you know, originally we weren't sure when this first started happening what was going on. But it was just a just a depth perception thing with uh, our last dog that, you know, turning the lights on kind of solved a lot of issues and then, you know, helping helping the dog move around, things like that. 
Yeah, and just to be aware of these things, you want to be an advocate for the dog. So the flooring issue, if your dog's slipping a lot, like Scott said, put something new down. They have these Dr. Busby toe grips that you can put on the dog's toenails <clears throat> that are supposed to give them a little more grip when they walk. There's paws, booties that can give them a little bit more grip. And a lot of this is proprioceptive, so it's neurologic. So the more that you can help your dog send the same, you know, sensory output to its feet and its body and everything else, the more longevity you're going to get out of your dog, if and, that makes sense. And you want to just keep them moving. You know, do older dogs, they want to lay around. Understandably, their energy level is going down. It's painful, not dramatically painful, but it's more comfortable to do nothing than to get up and move around like a young dog. But getting them up and moving them around, even if it's with some treats, having them play some games where they're you know, we, we put food in a box and got our older dogs to hunt through these boxes for food. And they were happy to do that. But if we weren't playing that game with them, they would just lay around all day. But laying around, you know, that sedentary lifestyle, just with hu like with humans, if we lay on the couch all day, everything just goes to crap faster and faster, you know? Yeah. We want to keep their bodies moving. And it's a balance between exercise and mental stimulation also. So understandably, you can't go out and do a mile walk with the dogs anymore or go running or put them on the treadmill or something as you used to once they age to at a certain level. However, the boxes are great mental stimula stimulation. It's getting those neural pathways to get firing and the dogs are all excited about finding food. And just do things that are unique for them. So if you're always indoors, go outside, lay in the front yard, take them for ice cream, do special things like go to Starbucks and get a puppuccino every now and then or bring them home something special. The more little unique experiences that they're living with you, the more that they're kind of going to hopefully hang on because there's something unique. It's making them get out of their cycle of, okay, I'm going to lay here, I'm going to rest, I'm going to eat dinner, I'm going to go out to potty and everything else. And I know I harped on toes a bit last week, but uh, toes are a big thing for older dogs too. I'm actually more of a stickler for cutting our older dogs' toenails than I am the younger dogs because that's something that I'm able to get their brains thinking about is, oh, there, there was a little bit of pain there. Oh, okay, I'm feeling my toes. There's senses going on there. And the shorter their toenails are, the easier they're going to be able to maneuver around. So we're just trying to give you guys as many tips as possible to make their quality what you want to see out of it. And there are a little, all these little side tricks that we've been living in <laughs> literally day in, day out for over a year that we thought, all right, well, maybe some other people could use some of these for themselves also. We have uh, stairs for my terrier. She used to jump on the bed all the time, and then she was just too old, and the bed was too high. So we got this set of stairs, which is similar to like a ramp that you could buy to get in the back of an SUV. And then she was having trouble with her eyesight. So Scott found these lights yeah, for her. I found a little LED light set on Amazon, <laughs> and I adhered those onto the steps. It was a motion sensor so that when she got up to the edge of the bed and looked down at the stairs, they'd go on for it her. Was like, it's like She'd the Hollywood down. strip, like at night, if you yeah. go to pee. But all these little things helped, and it gave them better quality. Because now here's your other option. Okay, dog can't get on the bed anymore. Well that part of their life is over. The more that you have them kind of... Try to maintain that normalcy. Yeah, participating in the life that they knew that they lived, kind of the more quality you're going to see rather than, okay, we have to take this away. We have to take this away. We have to take this away. And now their world's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So yes, I know it's not possible every time you have a 150 pound dog, they can't get on the bed. You don't want to drag them up a ramp. They don't want to do that. That's fine. I'm not talking about every single instance here, but there are little tricks here that you can implement to make the dogs think, oh, wow, I, I couldn't see. And now these lights went on and now I got off the bed and it's just like I used to for the last decade. So 
these little wins for the old dogs really seem to make them kind of light up. And when they light up, we light up. And that's kind of what we're going for is this big, happy, warm, fuzzy family feel with giving them a lot of quality. So, um, Scott mentioned the hearing and the eyesight, and that is something that we just wanted to touch on because a lot of what you think and what you see is like, oh, are they getting loony? Is this happening? May actually be a hearing or a visual deficit. And just work around that. Clapping is good for vibrations if they can't hear great. And like Scott said, the closer you are as far as depth perception goes or lighting, all those things can really make a difference. So keeping them moving uh, mental stimulation versus exercise, and then just basic range of motion. If they're just laying there, if they're comfortable with it, move their legs back and forth, stroke down from their head to their tail, get some energy flowing within their body. So they're not just laying there stagnant. Stasis is not a good place to be when you get older. So if there are things that you can do yourself to fight that, It'll be for the better benefit of your dog and for you. Because a dog that's immobile, especially when they're large, is really, really tricky to deal with. We used um, this help me up harness, help him up, I guess, with my uh, Mal before he passed. And this was really beneficial because it goes on two different parts of his body. And we were able to get him on his feet and get him moving. So it wasn't so much that he was completely immobile. Maybe he just didn't have the fortitude to get up, whatever it was. But once he was up and he could move, then we were getting reps of that. But had Scott and I had to, Scott herniated a disc in his back last year. We can't be picking up a 75 pound dog and carrying him in and out all the time. It's just not practical. I needed to have the harness put on me. Yeah. You're about to that point. So all of these little things, there's a lot of tips out there. And sometimes if you just go to your Western vet, and I love my Western vet. It's nothing against just going to your vet and seeing what they say. They'll just say, oh, well, they're getting older and you're running low on options. There's a lot of information out there. You can do a quick Google search. You can do a quick YouTube search. And hopefully you're garnering a lot of new tips from us speaking here today on it. And it is hard for us. I mean, this is all very fresh for us. And we've been living with these two dogs for a long time. And it's a lot different living without them in our lives every single day. And I haven't even really formally announced BAM because we just got over Sarge and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of emotion and it's a lot of processing for the family and everything else. But really a lot of these things overlapped between both of their lives and they're helpful things for you to do with your own dogs. Or if your family member has an older dog or your friend, Use these things to your advantage. Offer some little tips here or there because a lot of times a dog will sit there for the last three to five years of your, their lives and you're thinking, oh God, that dog's still alive. I mean, a lot of, as, as long as a dog chooses to eat and can go to the bathroom, they can stick around for a really, really long time. So if they're going to be there, let's try to give them the best quality possible that we can. Yeah, just try and keep them moving. Uh, with Bam, uh, our uh, terrier that we just lost, you know, when she lost her hearing, she was always very territorial. Whenever someone came to the house, she'd start barking. You know, that was always an issue with her. And uh, when she lost her hearing, uh, one of the side benefits of that was that when we came home, she didn't even wake up. She'd be, you know, she didn't, you'd have to go touch her to wake her up because she was quiet, you know. But interestingly enough, uh, when you opened a bag of treats, (laughs) she'd come running from the other room. She'd hear that. Yeah, the hearing uh, came right back. Yeah. (laughs) And even though it's harder, um, consider grooming like just a little bit at a time here and there, but old dogs can get really gross really quick. I mean, especially if they have accents here and there, you know, you just want to be able to make them feel comfortable with, okay, we're just going to spot check this, make you feel good, make you feel fresh. You want to give them as much normalcy in their life as possible. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up was traveling. So 
I mean, we've had these old dogs for a long, long time, it seems. We were supposed to go to Italy last year um, with Scott's sister, and uh, it was his herniated disc that kept us from going. But I was really stressed about leaving. We were They wanted to go on a two-week trip. I said, I'm not going more than seven days. There's just no possible way that I'm going to be gone that long when I have these two older dogs. And we were able to get away to St. John for a few days. But had they not been in peak condition or had anything gone wrong... While we were away, we would have not gone. We would have forfeited the money of the trip. Or we would have turned around right away if our house sitter said, oh, yeah, you know, things are so-so. You know, this one is needing. This one's having a hard time getting up and everything else. And that may sound extreme, but that's how crazy we are as dog people. And well, let me – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, we we boarded and trained dogs for, you know, the past 15 years. And uh, we see that that process of a dog coming into a new situation – uh, is stressful for them. And with an older dog, that stress can manifest itself in a dropping of the immune system. So you want to be conscious of that because, I mean, we had one dog that we had in for training that was, you know, a relatively young dog, three to five years old. And the people said, we're going on vacation. Can you watch our dog for us? We said, yeah, sure. Well, we have our other dog, our older dog. Can you watch that one for us too? I'm like, well, okay, how old's the dog? It was a 12-year-old poodle. And we were really like that dog was our priority the entire time to make sure that dog was eating and healthy because a 12-year-old dog could just drop dead on you. I mean, it's a 12-year-old dog, you know, and uh, it is stressful. So if you are going to go on vacation and you haven't been in, in a long time, you haven't brought that dog to a kennel and the dog is over eight or nine years old, you, what I would recommend is that if that's your only option, you bring the dog to a boarding facility for a couple of trial runs so that the dog can get used to that atmosphere and see how it goes for one night. You drop them off on a Saturday night, pick them up Sunday or Friday, pick them up Saturday, see how it's going, get them used to it. Use the, the place when you don't need it so that when you go for three or five days or a week, at least you can feel a little more comfortable that the dog is comfortable. They know your dog. And if your dog is really older, I wouldn't do that at all. I would get someone to come in and stay at your house with the dog. It's much less stressful for the dog to be in their home environment. The only thing they got to deal with is a new person that's feeding them. And you can get that person to meet the dog ahead of time also. But you want to keep that stress level as low as possible with your senior dogs. That's all. Yeah. And if they're comfortable at your mom's house or your sister's house or something, that would be a new environment for them to go into and deal with for a couple days when you're gone. So just be thoughtful of these things. Obviously, you're not going to be grounded to home and never be able to go anywhere. But just like us, maybe you do a three to five day thing instead of a week or two week thing just based on your dogs and their quality of life. So um, next week, we are going to go through introducing a new puppy into the household with a household that already has dogs. And if you have any questions or comments about this show today, please send us an email at studio at thequirkydog.com. Take care of those senior dogs and keep it quirky. <coughs> The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.